Welcome to another episode of the Urban Futures Podcast. This is Anna Jones. In today's episode, we have the pleasure to speak with Sirka Heinonen. Sirka is a professor of future studies at the University of Turku and a full member of the Club of Rome. She actively promotes futures learning and is here to talk about how a futures-oriented approach can be used positively to influence outcomes in urban planning. Sirka, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me here. You have worked in several projects, ranging from technology foresight to the future of cities and rural areas. Before we dig deeper into some of your work, tell us about your personal story and how did you become interested in working at this junction of futures research and the urban environment? Oh, that is indeed an interesting story because when I graduated as a Master of Arts from Helsinki University, it was not self-evident that I end up here where I am now. So it turned out so that I had a possibility to apply for a job at VTT. VTT is Technical Research Center of Finland, employing more than 3,000 researchers. So I, as a Master of Arts, was employed to this hardcore technology center. I went exactly to the uh, unit that studied urban planning, urban studies, communities, and besides that, uh, the field of future studies was entering Finland at that time. Sirka, you grew up in Helsinki. Finns are well known for having a strong bond with nature. Indeed, more than 50% of your country area is under forest land. What is that human nature relationship that you have grown to know as a Finn growing up in Helsinki? Uh, actually, nature is really important for us Finns. It is something very um, embedded in our personalities, even in our soul. So it is sometimes called as our religion. So uh, we want to have nature around us, whether we are living in city or in the countryside. So we need this uh, relation, direct relation to nature and the natural environment all the time. So uh, we are lucky because uh, our cities are always surrounded by a lot of nature. So it means a lot. So what is that human nature relationship that you find here in Finland that is so hard to find elsewhere? I think it is uh, the respect for nature. All the time, uh, let's take an example, one city area, for example, and then there is a plan that the trees are cut down and new buildings are being built. There is strong resistance from citizens. Citizens, residents, they know that they need this kind of connection to nature, so they want to conserve and preserve nature as much as possible. Helsinki is growing and developing new public infrastructure, particularly in sea-oriented areas of the city. This is a challenge when we think about the future of the cultural aspects that are linked to people's relationship with nature. What are some examples of developments here in Helsinki in which you have seen there might be some resistance towards development in order to preserve natural areas? 
I think this uh, uh, resistance to every action to try to remove nature or further it away is is the mainstream really. Um, in Finland and in Helsinki area we are lucky because the land area is quite large. So we can have both built environment and the natural environment in balance together in the same city. And in Finland, uh, of course, the climate is rather harsh. Sometimes in the winter we get snow, even here in Helsinki. And then uh, we also have this tradition of cross-country skiing. So in the core of Helsinki city, there is this phenomenon called uh, skiing urbanism. That means that uh, people want to start skiing right after of their door when they enter the nature. Yeah. That's even possible. You can make it compatible with city structure. How do you see in, in the course of uh, development, how do you see Helsinki has changed? Because you have lived here. Uh, for how long have you lived in Helsinki now? I was born in Helsinki and I'm now 66 years old, so I have lived all my life here and I've been following the growth. Of course, uh, population growth is um, happening all the time and the physical built environment is changing, but not radically. I would say that Helsinki city has managed, succeeded in not spoiling the landscape, urban landscape with high-rise skyscrapers, mm. etc. Or, or uh, trying to uh, construct uh, buildings that are alienating people. Mm -hmm. I think it is very livable city. And if you look at the statistics, international statistics, Helsinki has been rated among the most livable cities in the world. And that is exactly because of the scale, human scale, citizens are taking into consideration. Surka, you have worked at the crossroads of futures and city planning, applying what is called systematic futures thinking. For those listening who don't have the background on futures research, how do you define systematic futures thinking and why is that important? It is actually very exciting to know that futures research is a discipline. It is an academic field. And at the core of this academic field is systematic futures thinking. So at University of Turku, we have international master's program and even a doctoral program in future studies. Uh, systematic futures thinking is the starting point. Uh, there are specific approaches, specific methods that are being applied in this field. And uh, what it means systematic, it means that we really, whenever we are studying the future of cities, let's say, we always have systems view. We are not looking only at housing or only at transportation that happens inside city. We are looking at the whole system, uh, cities as a system. And then another thing that is important criteria is that we have a long-term view. Mm. 
And this long-term view doesn't mean only 10 or 20 years. It could even mean 100 years. So Absolutely. we should have this long-term view, systems view, looking holistically at the topic that we are studying and using systematically different methods that have been developed. For example, a so-called Millennium Project has a methods toolbox that consists of 30 different methods. Mm. And also the Finnish Society for Future Studies has recently published a book that covers more than 20 different methods that can be used in futures research. And talking about these methods, what are some of those tools that you have used that have given the most interesting results? Like, for example, what about weak signals? Yes, that's uh, one very interesting uh, method, uh, look at the weak signals. But before going to weak signals, I would like to emphasize that urban studies and future studies are very closely related because when we plan and construct cities, they are meant to survive for many centuries even. So this kind of long-term planning, long-term horizon is already embedded in urban planning and urban studies. But we can enrich urban studies when we introduce different methods from future studies. So weak signals is part of the first phase that we do when we start a project. Uh, it's called horizon scanning. We look at um, future signals, signals of change. The strongest signals are megatrends. We look at megatrends such as climate change, population growth, etc. But then we can also have a look at weak signals. And a weak signal is a sign of an emerging issue or phenomenon. It can be very much in the marginal. It's not visible even unless you look very carefully. But it is important and interesting in a sense that if one of these weak signals starts to strengthen itself, then if we have early on idea what it can be, we have sort of competitive edge. So that is the reason behind uh, this method of weak signals. And actually, in one of the research projects we had, we started by looking uh, at weak signals specifically. Of course, we have to bear in mind all the time those global megatrends. Mm. They are not going anywhere. They are there. But it is not enough to look at the megatrends. We mm. have to look at medium-sized trends and also these weak signals. And how can someone train uh, to see or pinpoint those weak signals in an everyday life? There are specific uh, means and tools that we can try to strengthen this kind of capacity. Uh, first of all, you have to identify weak signals. And, uh, but those are not easy to identify. No, that's the most challenging part. They can go missed, neglected, ignored. And that is because if you look at uh, only those mainstream things that are happening, if you don't jump out of the box, 
and if you don't use your peripheral vision, it is difficult to identify weak signals. Using the peripheral vision means that you are looking not where you are normally looking, but in the marginals. It can be something that you notice uh, when you are walking on the street. You see a small sign or a small special boutique for some new things. Or it can be something that you hear from one of your friends or colleagues that they have seen somewhere. But it is something that is not yet in the mainstream or something that is known. So if you ask people, do you know about this phenomenon, it should be something that not everybody knows about it. I can give you one example. When we think about cities, and let's take Helsinki city as an example. Let's say 15 years ago, there was not a single vegan restaurant in the city. So veganism um, started to grow when vegan restaurants were opened. And that was of course because there was demand. Some people changed their lifestyles and they turned not only vegetarians, but uh, to the extreme form, which is veganism. And now when we look at the cityscape, we can easily find um, more than five vegan restaurants in the city center. So that is a phenomenon that started somewhere. At some point it was not even known what veganism is. Some people didn't know. And now it has become not yet a trend, but almost a trend. Yeah, and, and, and this is where you really have to pay attention to see whether these very small signs do have potential to become uh, dominant t- trends, like in the case of veganism. Exactly. And if you... Um, if you have identified weak signals and if you think that those phenomena are uh, something that are desirable when developing cities, of course, then it is wise to find out measures how to, how to strengthen that phenomenon. Uh, actually, I could tell another example of a weak signal that was actually established in, in Finland, in Helsinki again. These kind of uh, bottom-up activities, citizens uh, like to invent things, they like to do activities for themselves. Uh, basically, this kind of restaurant day was started in Helsinki. One day, uh, anybody could open up a restaurant, bake or cook something and go to the street or from their flat, open the window and sell outside. That was something revolutionary and it hadn't happened before. And then it was like becoming very popular. So that was a sign of a weak signal that actually was strengthened. And uh, when you look at Finland, how do you compare phenomena and urban issues. What is your view when you compare Helsinki, for example, with other model cities? Um, Helsinki has some special qualities. Of course, it has a very fortunate location by the sea, 
seaside, so Helsinki is surrounded by sea and greenery and nature actually everywhere. So it is very, a very good location, very good milieu. On the other hand, it is quite large. Helsinki hasn't had to struggle with the uh, population uh, explosion, so of course there is always demand for m more space for buildings, etc. But in general, I would say that Helsinki has not struggled with this kind of lack of land, so space area is quite large. I've been also living in several other uh, cities for several months period at a time, especially like Paris, mm -hmm. Rome, London, Tokyo and Buenos Aires. And I'm, of course, naturally I compare these cities with Helsinki. We have a small population in the city, large area. And uh, of course I have been paying attention also to cultural facts. Helsinki is, and, and the, we Finns are different from, let's say, Latin American people. We like to have also places for silence, for just recreation by ourselves. So it's, it's very different from these other hectic metropolises. Mm. Yeah, and, and perhaps this is uh, a very good highlight of uh, what make uh, Helsinki or uh, the cultural aspect of Finland uh, intervene with the, with the environment, with the built environment. Um, where can Finland do better? I know that we talked about this and I, I know that there are some things that you see. What are those things that are changing uh, this, the landscape? Yes, I think there are actually two great risks in urban planning, um, especially in the metropolitan area. One risk is that we go with some hype developments. I mentioned these uh, high-rise skyscrapers. We don't have them yet. Uh, we are going to have some of them here in Helsinki. I'm not so worried about them as such. But I'm worried if there is this tendency to make cities too compact. Because from the point of view, ecological point of view, of course, if the distances for commuting and transportation, if they are long, uh, we create emissions if we use uh, fossil fuel based cars. And then there is tendency that we should construct cities very compact. But there is a limit. If they are too compact, there are negative effects, negative impacts. So we should find a balance making cities both compact but livable. So that uh, this kind of uh, uh, pleasant feeling living in a city is not lost. And the other risk is that if we want to make uh, cities car-free, we lose this idea that we cut emissions not only making uh, cities car-free, but turning to electric vehicles.
why not change the whole car fleet into electric vehicles? Then we wouldn't have emissions, but we wouldn't have to compromise um, equality of residents in cities. We have to remember that people are aging, especially in Finland, population is aging um, among the countries that are like Japan and Finland aging more rapidly than other countries. We can't think that the aging population will use mass transit or cyc- uh, go cycling or uh, biking and walking. They need cars, but they could be electric vehicles, electric cars, no emissions. Mm. And uh, of course, then you should pay attention to these kind of measures, how to cut down emissions. And this aspect of compaction and uh, density versus having a more distributed type of landscape, I think it's, it's a big issue for cities because on the one hand, we need this kind of density in order to build efficiencies um, and also to have less impact on those natural resources because if everybody wants to live in the countryside, then then we have the problem of expanding the, the infrastructure and impacting the land. Um, so for, for Finland, you have such a culture of being in contact with nature. How do you see in the future that this is going? How do you make that um, middle point between compaction and um, development? I see the solution in this combination of living in cities and living in the countryside some part of, of your time. Uh, in Finland we have half a million summer cottages, so people are used to going in the summertime. They go to their cottages and of course uh, due to uh, technology you can even telework there. You can spend uh, longer and longer periods in the countryside as well. So I think this kind of combination of living in multiple localities during one year, it's a good solution. You can combine spending time in the countryside and then enjoy this kind of uh, silence. And uh, then on the other hand, living in the city is what you normally do. But this kind of optimal combination of city living and countryside living is, uh, I think, exceptionally easy here in Finland. You think that given all the uh, problems that we have uh, with climate change and and population change, um, this is something that will change in the future? Well, I think uh, climate change is, of course, number one in the list of megatrends. We really have to find uh, a huge variety of different measures how to combat climate change. And uh, I think we should not only use one tool or one measure, but a variety of different measures. And uh, of course, this kind of, I mentioned electric cars, but I would promote electrification of whole society of many, many different sectors as one 
very general goal that you could use in combating climate change. Mm -hmm. If this electrification is made on the basis of renewable energy, you get then this kind of uh, cuts in the emissions, carbon dioxide emissions that are critically needed. Circa, mm. uh, you are, among other things, a member of the Club of Rome. Uh, the Club of Rome is, um, uh, is most famous for its report, The Limits to Growth, um, that was published in 1972, as you know. Today, the mission of the club is to promote understanding of the global challenges facing humanity. From that perspective, what do you think is the future of urban societies given our current trajectory and in which direction are we heading? I think Club of Rome has now activated itself in a sense that it emphasizes the urgency of action not just um, giving out reports and talking about climate uh, change, they are now talking about climate emergency. So there is climate emergency plan being made within the Club of Rome, and Club of Rome gives advice to governments, to cities, to everybody who listens, uh, what are the measures, steps needed to uh, combat climate change? So climate emergency means that you really pay attention to this challenge and problem and take it seriously. What are those key challenges inside the climate emergency plan that the Club of Rome has released? One key challenge is the need for changing the whole energy system. Energy system which has been based on fossil fuels have to be turned into the one that is based on renewable energies. So I think that is the most urgent challenge and need that is recommended. Circa. The future has become our present. Uh, would you agree? <laughs> yes, future is present in our thinking, in our plans all the time. Yeah. We now have Futures for Friday and other initiatives. Indeed, this podcast is being aired on Futures Day here in Helsinki. What are the implications for the field of futures research? Are you optimistic about the future? Future is something that we all uh, should be thinking about very seriously. And it doesn't matter what age you have, it is never too early or never too late to start futures thinking. You have to think about what you want from the nature, uh, from the future. So in future studies, we have three kinds of futures. We can think about possible futures, we can think about probable futures, and we can think about preferred, desirable futures. It is important that we think at all these three futures, but very often in industry, in business and in normal life, 
probable futures are something that people want to know. What is the probable future of this city? What is the probable future of our business? But it is not enough. We really have to open up our thinking and think about different alternatives, different possibilities. And then among these possibilities, uh, we have to think what it is that we want from our future. What is the preferred future? Because when we pick up this vision, the preferred future, then we can start thinking what are the steps and measures needed in order to move towards that future. Yeah, sort of like gaining understanding, but at the same time also being able be able to use that understanding uh, towards improving or changing or um, getting a new a new future. Exactly. And there are three principles in future studies. First is that you cannot predict the future, but you can explore the future. Then the other one is there is not just one future, but there are several alternatives. And then the third principle, which is, according to my mind, the most important, you can have an impact on the future. So if we think about future of cities, um, I am optimistic that if we set this goal, this vision, a preferred future, that we want an eco-smart and livable city, mm. then we can start thinking what are the steps needed that we can have our cities as eco-smart and on the other hand, livable places. Mm. We begin this conversation talking about systematic futures thinking. Um, how is the adoption of this uh, futures thinking mindset useful for improving life in cities and, and the way the cities are planned? It is all about anticipation. We have to anticipate also these looming threats and risks what are existing and try to solve the problems. That's one thing. But the other part is this um, goal part or the target part, the vision part. We have to have courage enough to set the target high enough in order to reach a desirable future for our cities. And it doesn't happen only by uh, thinking and dreaming. It happens by action. We have to find the right actors the right strategies, the right processes, how to proceed towards the mm. uh, preferred future. And you mentioned the word anticipation. Um, what is anticipation means in, in the context of futures research? It means futures awareness, futures consciousness, that you are all the time aware of the future that is there, that we are not just living in the present, but we are already uh, one step ahead in the future and we have to construct the future. And we have to uh, do this as a co-creative, collaborative process. For urban planning, I have proposed this kind of new anticipatory hybrid governance model. It means that we all the time have in mind uh, the present realities, 
also remembering the past and the traditions that we have in 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 a city but very strongly looking at the vision of the future of city that we want to have and that we want to construct it in a collaborative co-creative process together with citizens with businesses with ngos city authorities all together mm. do you think that from the from the city's perspective and 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 planners and and city officials uh, what is the level of imagination uh, um, that you see or the level of futures thinking that you see in them at least for the cases that you have observed maybe for for finland of course city authorities have some constraints because there are rules and regulations and codes that of course have to be obeyed and followed but it's also a limiting factor if we add to this um, to this situation if we add imaginary thinking and let's say include even children mm. imagining what is their ideal city we can then enrich this normal regular process in city planning and that is something that is needed mm. i very strongly recommend all cities mm. to uh, exercise these kind of anticipatory processes and it could be even using this kind of futures day campaigning in futures uh, day campaigns you can uh, go to schools and ask pupils and students make drawings or write essays mm. about their city and what they want mm. them to develop in the future because it seems like it's an exercise it's something that you the more you do it the, the better you get at it but the, then you have to start and you really have to train uh, yourself to do it and and learn by doing exactly and it's all about alternatives you have to open your mind and think about alternatives you don't have to jump right into some uh, some uh, solution you can test them in your mind and these kind of futures workshops and clinics and think about what happens cause and uh, consequences then uh, first test the ideas Sirka, we're coming to the end of our program um, let's go back to the concept of nature um, what do you think will be our human nature relationship in the future it has to be a very balanced relationship because we have been uh, locked in this kind of situation that we are using the nature but nature should be seen as an equal partner humans and nature in an equal partnership that is the ideal solution i think what is your favorite spot in the city in Helsinki city um, I was born in a city area that's called Töölä it's very nice area old city area there is Töölä bay and there is boutiques restaurants cultural activities opera music hall and a lot of nature you can go walking around the Töölä bay so it's an ideal place but there is another ideal place place for me when I grew older I have a family 
and uh, I moved to the eastern parts of Helsinki and Laajasalo is now my favorite place because it's almost like countryside. It is a combination of city and the best of countryside living and the air quality is the purest in Helsinki there. This concludes our episode Cities Empowered by Systematic Futures Thinking. Thank you for listening. See you next time.